Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite a while. I have the joy today of talking with Joyce Rupp. And if you are unfamiliar with her work, let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, Joyce is well known for her work as a writer, spiritual midwife. I love that phrase. Let me just say that, that term. Uh, as, so she's very well known for her work as a writer. That's where I was introduced to her, a spiritual midwife, an international retreat leader, and conference speaker. She's the author of numerous best-selling books, including Praying Our Goodbyes, Anchors for the Soul, and the book that introduced me to her, uh, one that's maybe way back there that she, maybe, she, I, don't, I don't know if it's the first one that she wrote, but The Cup of Your Life. That's my initial introduction to Joyce Rupp. Um, and I, we're going to get to talk today about uh, her book, Return to the Root. Uh, but I've got a variety of questions to ask her before we get to that um, part, to, to that particular topic. But Joyce, I need to also say to our listeners that um, you are a member of the Servite community, which is Servants of Mary, and I'm not as familiar with that. Mm. Um, I certainly know, and I'm, I, I would say I'm not as familiar probably with the world of sisters as much as the world of, you know, I know the Jesuits and the Benedictines, and but I didn't know the Servites. So I'll, first of all, welcome to Faith Conversations. Oh, thank and thank yeah. And yeah. I would love to hear how you wound up um, deciding to be uh, part of the Servites. And am I saying that right? I should ask yes, that too. Yes, you are. Okay. And it actually, Servites comes from the Servite, meaning to serve. Um, but I, gosh, we could use a whole hour on this. So. <laughs> I bet, I bet. <laughs> but, you know, I was, um, I was a freshman in college and I never wanted to join a religious community, it seemed very confining to me. And so I deliberately went, I, I went to Catholic grade in high school, but I deliberately went to a state college. So there wouldn't be any priests or nuns around to remind me of this, which was <laughs> nagging at me, you know, so God has her ways. And so I, my, my uh, speech class, I had Dr. Lillian Wagner, and I knew she was Catholic because I would see her at mass when I was there. So uh, this one day as midterm and she caught, she said to me, I'd like to have an appointment with you. And I thought, Oh boy, I'm flunking this class. <laughs> so I went very nervously and we were sitting down and she, she then I got more nervous because she asked me personal questions like my family and where did I go to high school? And mm. I always said, my big mistake was I said, Oh, I said, I had the Servite sisters. And I said, I just loved them. They were so full of joy and they were a lot of fun. And she said to me, 
Is that what you're going to do when you get out of college? And I about fell over because I thought, how would she know I was thinking about this? And mm-hmm. so I, I, I tried never to talk to her the rest of the year, so I wouldn't be reminded of it. But I really entered with the thought that I'll never last and I'll leave. You know, and that's been 50 years ago. So <laughs> obviously I didn't leave. But it was but, you know, that was such a teachable moment for me spiritually, because it was like this is how God comes to us through other people. You know, I think a lot of times there's that notion of God's going to come directly, you know, through a thunderbolt or some voice somewhere, but that was a moment for me. And it really has helped me through my entire life to keep my heart open to how the people around me are are with me and what they say and how they are. So. Oh, um, I love that. I'm such a proponent. Um, for community and the importance of the community of faith around us. And that's yeah. such a great illustration of that. Yeah, thank Beautiful. You. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so the cup of, of your life was what introduced me to you. But since then, I've enjoyed a variety of your books. And I have to say, um, I'm a spiritual director and Anchors for the Soul has been one of those books that I continually go back to and use entries from that as prayers to open spiritual direction sessions with clients all the time. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Oh yeah. I have enjoyed that. Appreciated that so much. Actually a good friend um, introduced me to that book and I'm always Mm -hmm. grateful to her for that. Well, you are a prolific author. I should I should ask what you majored in when you went to that state university. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I majored in education. And then when I entered my community and I continued, um, I moved into English as my major, which was wonderful. You know, so that really encouraged my my writing. That sheds a little light right there. Because I wondered um, where the, the writing, where your writing came from. Um, and I wondered if you wrote as a young girl or when you really began writing in earnest, was it more in the college years or, or when? You know, what really sparked my enthusiasm to write was I would think I was a junior in high school and we had a wonderful teacher. It was actually a grammar class, I think, or something like that. But anyway, um, she would start us off on short stories. Like it was a dark and stormy night and we'd all have to write. And then we would, you know, read. And then she would, of course, edit our grammar and everything. But I was amazed, not at what I wrote, but what everybody else wrote. I thought, how did we all come up with all these different versions and, and during those years, I started reading Russian novels for some reason, and the writing was marvelous, you know, and then I started writing poetry when I was about 19, and it was just a way for me to get in touch, like a lot of young people do, you know, with what was going on and stirring inside of me. And um, so then in my, my 20s, you know, I... I didn't write, I didn't have anything published, I think, till I was in my late 20s. And actually, the first thing I had published, I think, was a poem, and uh, then a very short essay. And I never considered myself to be a writer um, till I was like, well, my first book was published in 1985. I was about 2830, I think, when I, I, I said, well, I was in my early 30s. And again, it was a person that got me to to publish. And it was, I always, I was doing these newsletters and people would say, oh, you should publish these. These are really good. And I go, oh, I don't think they're that good, you know? So Evelyn was a secretary in one of the parishes. I was, I was pastoral care person then, or um, educator then. And so anyway, 
Um, so I, one day she says, what are you going to publish those newsletters? I said, I don't ever have time to type those up and you know, do all that. And she said, I'll do it for you. And I, I mean, what could I say? That took the excuse away, didn't it? Yes, it did. And she typed up the manuscript. I submitted it. And a couple of years later, it was published as fresh bread. So, oh, no kidding. I have fresh bread. I own that book. I have not read it, but I, you know, after the cup of your life, I went looking for other books of yours because of the interactive nature of that book. I went through it with a group actually in a small course that our church was offering called growing your soul. And that was part of the curriculum. And I loved that book. And I went looking and I found fresh bread. And then I found, um, Oh, the green, the plants on the cover of the other, another one of yours. Oh, the open door. No, the, uh, open the door, open the door. That was open the door. Yeah. That's an interactive one too. That's another one. Yes. So I, I went looking for those and, um, have really appreciated uh, your work because, you know, I think, well, it, it had to do with me. It was the way that I grew. I grew through that interactive kind of medium mm-hmm. and you uh, did that so well in some of your, and really in all of your writings, but those particular ones. You know, part of, I, a strong part of my, my spiritual life is metaphor or symbol. And, um, you know, it really started when I, w- I grew up in rural Northwest Iowa. And so I'm very, um, pardon the pun, rooted in the earth. <laughs> yes. But I mean, I, everywhere, I mean, I saw the potential in seeds and what happened and, you know, the seasons of four seasons are so strong in the Midwest. And I, I mean, it just spoke to me at a deeper level and I real didn't really realize it, of course, till I, I, you know, started writing. But I think the reason like the book, The Cup of the Life has taken off, when I wrote that book, I didn't think anybody was going to buy it. I thought, they're going to think this is really dorky using a cup to talk about our spiritual life. You know, that book, in fact, I, my publisher just, they got an order for 80 copies the other day. A group's going to take it through Lent this coming year. I love that. I'm so you know, glad. And, and it's just, you know, looking at that cup in many different ways of how, you know, we it connects us with our inner life and same way with open the door you know it's happened and i that's that's kind of the way my mind works now is and i i think it helps it takes spiritual life from being so nebulous ethereal kind of and it brings it it brings it back here into our real ordinary life and and also i think it also takes sometimes it that spiritual life for people can feel like flat like just words on the mm-hmm. flattened page and it, and and I think what you've done is brought it to life as well in in the way you write. Uh, thanks. That's what I hope will happen that it really people will f- discover that it is in their ordinary life that where the holy speaks and where we where we connect. Yeah. So I, I didn't plan to ask you this. I'm going to just for a minute go off script. You know, I have the joy of um during the recording of these podcasts of seeing the person on zoom. I, I only record audio, but I get to see you. I see your white hair. And so I know that you are probably not 40, probably not 50 <laughs> somewhere. Try the, try the seventies. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, yeah. what I, so what I want to ask you just a few weeks ago on the podcast, I talked with someone about aging faithfully and, um, And so I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, here is a woman, Joyce Rupp, who is 
the embodiment of that, who is aging faithfully. Uh, we, you know, that term retirement is one that is in our vocabulary that is really not in God's vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what your life, I mean, I think things do shift as we, as we age, but you're yeah. still very much um, about the, about God's business. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I hope I'm always about God's business and I hope I'm always about writing. I, I jokingly say to people, I love writing so much that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to say, does anybody have a pen? <laughs> but, but, you know, um, so about uh, 2007, uh, Sister Margaret and I started a program called Boundless Compassion. And it has just, it has imbued my whole life. I cannot imagine now not living uh, compassionately, you know, and we've taught other people, we have a program that teaches people how to be compassionate. And I hope, you know, it has, it has affected my life so much. And I thought even, you know, in the coming years, you know, when I'm really not able maybe to be out and about that much, that I can always be a compassionate presence, you know, that that can be my service. And I thought, even if I'm in a care center, I could still be a compassionate presence to people. You know, and if I'm, it's so imbued in me, even if my mind isn't always alert, somehow I hope I can still, you know, I can still do that and be that. So I love that. And I find older people asking the question, what is my purpose? Not necessarily carrying forward maybe what they've done or who they've been their whole lives. And so I love that explanation. Have you, you know, that you were talking about and that, that it's, it's really, it's who we are carrying forward, who we are, who we have become in Christ, you know, carrying that with us. And I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned, um, boundless compassion. I realized I did not mention that in your bio, you serve as the director of the boundless compassion program and say, and also, is there a website for that? I'll put that in the show notes. No, we're just creating a website for it. It's interesting. You'll say it'll probably be up by January 2022. Okay. Um, right now it's on my, my personal website. Oh, for good. Boundless Compassion. But to really understand it, it's wicked. We just finally decided we needed to do that. Um, but, you know, in 2017, the program just kept growing and people wanted these retreats on compassion. And so we started training facilitators. We've got to have about 115 facilitators, who, volunteers across the country who give retreats and workshops and integrate it into their lives and into spiritual direction. It's just marvelous. And we just have some core concepts about compassion. And see, we started that because I, I am I am very fond of Buddhism um, from the perspective of compassion, but I couldn't find a lot on, on Christianity and compassion back in the early 2000s. Wow. And so I said to Margaret, who's teaching Christians how to be compassionate? So we of we all started, people, right? We and there is so much in the gospels about hmm, compassion. Right. Oh my goodness. And Jesus himself is the embodiment of compassion. Yes. So yeah, and so it's just been really exciting. It just keeps ex- program keeps expanding, expanding. You know, now I two years ago I established a core team of seven members, you know, across the country to help. Oh. of it. And so, yeah, it's just exciting. Oh, I'm excited. I I'm want to learn more. So I'll, I'll have your website in the show notes and people can, you know, check that out and learn more there until the actual website launches. So that's tremendous. 
and, and I'm also thinking, wow, of, of all times, you know, how timely it is that this, that you're engaged in this particular kind of ministry, as we look at just even the political climate in our country, mm-hmm. as we look mm-hmm. at what's happened mm-hmm. over the past year and a half plus with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and, you know, talk about, and just looking, look globally, you know, move out of yeah. the bounds yeah. of our country. The need for compassion on a global scale is, is so, is huge. It really is. It's really, that's so true that, you know, and, um, in the beginning, you know, you had mentioned praying our goodbyes, which was my second book that I wrote. And it's amazingly still selling today. But I think the reason it is, is that, you know, when I wrote that book, I wrote that in 1988. And most of the things on grief, well, all of them were about death in relation to grief. But I remember talking my publisher into, into publishing the book, because I said, there are so many kinds of grief. And I said, I know from my life, I find it hard to move from one place to another that I like. Yes. You know, I lost a job and had great grief over that. Yes. Yes. And I mean, there are so many layers to grief. And I think today I was thinking about this before we, we started that there is so much grief in our country really and around the world, but the anger and the irritability mm-hmm. and all of that, it's really a manifestation of grief. And, yes. you know, I looked up, I think there's been three fourths million people now in our country that have died over 700,000. And researchers say that for every person that dies, there's nine people, average of nine people affected. Imagine the grief about that alone. And then you have small businesses that had to close. You have parents that are just beside themselves with their children's education. I mean, there's just layer upon layer. And so, you know, last week I met with a man who's a new widower Mm -hmm. and and so he's not just got the grief of losing his partner. He, he's quite young. And, and his, and so his, his youngest daughter just went to college and now, you know, he's, he's struggling with that loss because he's got this big house all by himself. And I thought, and then he's got his personal business that he's dealing with. And again, who's there to say, we want to help you reflect on this and stay in your grief instead of shoving it down. And then it pops up as anger and, you know, you know, all these different manifestations of negativity yes. that um, people don't know how to deal with. I mean, it, it's, it's tough. Why, why is that? What, what have we done in the church context to not help that? I mean, we, you know, it's, it's something we don't talk about or, or, and some of it I know is the Western culture. We just want to, mm-hmm. we want to just move past it. Yeah. You know, I I do think that's one of the big things is we want to move past it, because to face it is to hurt, then we then we know how much we hurt. If I stay busy, if I act like it's just going to go away, if I don't pay attention to it, I once heard a speaker who said, grief has a long shelf life. But that is so true. If you don't deal with grief now, it's going to come out in another way somehow or other. And I and so personally, I think a lot of our uh, ordained ministers, I don't think they deal with their grief. So why would they know how to deal, help other people deal with their grief? That's not true of all of them, certainly. Um, but I think generally that's true. Yes. Yes. And I, I don't want to be disparaging about our seminaries and all of that, but you know, uh, there's so much um, teaching uh, of those who go into ministry uh, about um 
scripture, et cetera. But I think that the human factor, the psychology, the dealing with the hurts and um, difficulties of life, there's not enough of that kind of teaching that's happening at that level. And there really needs to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what a difference it would make if, if at a Catholic liturgy, you know, and there was, let's just say it with the gospel was about the widow of Nain and her son that had died and Jesus's compassion with her. How marvelous it would be if that, if that, you know, homilus would just stop and say, you know, all of you here have experienced some kind of loss in your life. I mean, let's just, I just invite you to go inside for a moment and visit that space and, and then invite Jesus to come and be with you in that and just come. You might even imagine Jesus just putting his arm around your shoulder and saying, I understand I'm here with you. Wow. I think that would make a tremendous difference. It would teach people how to pray that goodbye, how to be with it, you know, how to reflect on it. it. But I don't, I don't see that happening. And so we invite people to go to a grief group, you know, for four to six weeks. And to me, it's like, let them go to that grief group, get them out of my hair. I don't yes. want to with it. You know, I'll yes. let somebody else take care of it. So, well, anyway. even here. So that was beautiful hearing you, you know, even mm-hmm. just give a little flavor of what could happen. It would be wonderful. Um, is that, I'm curious what sent you into retreat work because in a retreat setting, there is space to do these kinds of things. Yes. Yeah. What, I mean, is that, what opened the door for you, the, the thought that, oh, this isn't happening over here. So maybe I can do some of this over here, or I don't know. I'm curious. You know, the door opened for me when I was 25. That was the year that my brother drowned. My brother oh. was 23 and I was 25. Oh. And I never thought of anybody in my family dying at that no. time. And I mean, it just, Oh, that's devastating. It was devastating. And I had all these questions. And at that time, you know, uh, there wasn't anyone to really talk to about it. I was quite far away from my community. I was living with just three other sisters and you didn't talk about the deeper kinds of things. And I would go out, you know, but here's how I think the spirit always guides us. I just felt this need to go out every day. I was teaching school at that time. I'd go out and I'd sit under a tree and I had a, I had a notebook with me and I'd read a scripture passage and I would just write a prayer. And then I just sit and I'd be with that. Mm. And I tell you, that was my healing gradually, although it took me about 15 years to really come to terms with that. And during those 15 years, that was the time that praying our goodbyes started formulating because I thought that's one loss that just about keeled me over. And now I see, I see that those emotions I had are there when I experience other loss in my life. So it was really my brother's death that led me to write praying our goodbyes. I don't think I ever would have written that book otherwise. And, and so, so I started going into retreat ministry when I was just like 30 or 31 and so it was five years after my brother's death. And so I had a, I had a special compassion for people that came on retreat that were suffering loss of any kind. And I found that if I could be vulnerable and speak about how I'd experienced difficult things in my life and how spiritually I had been helped, mm-hmm. that other people would open up. And that's, that's kind of how it got started. Yeah. So. yeah. I, you know, I think the sharing of our own story, yeah. our own things that have happened give gives permission to yeah. others to do the same. Yeah, I really wow. believe that too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, 
we've, we've been <laughs> Where here, we going? <laughs> here, there and everywhere with, with this. Um, I, I have to, to move uh, to the to book that I promised that we would talk about your, your new book, yeah. mm-hmm. Return to the Root. And I have to say, I don't know if I said it already, but wow, do I love the cover art of on this. I'm a big wow. fan of, of tr- mm-hmm. the metaphor of trees and also artwork of trees. I have jewelry wow. that's the yeah. trees. And anyway, so the, so the artwork on the front of Return to the Root alone is gorgeous and you should find the book just to look at the artwork, but it's reflections on the inner life. That's the subtitle, but, but where did you come up with the name? Why return to the root? You know, I always have a hard time with titles for books, but this one really came first and that's unusual for me. It usually comes last. (laughs) Um, but you know, I was up in Canada and I was uh, giving, well, actually was teaching boundless compassion program up there. And there was one of the participants and he came up to me and he had a a book and we got talking and there was a poem by Rumi in there. And one of the lines was return to the root of the root of yourself. And I just love them. The S the self was capitalized. And I love that. And then I started thinking about um, in Ephesians, when Paul talks about being strengthened in your inner being, and he uses the word root, he says, be rooted in Christ and be rooted in love, in Christ's love, I think is how it is. And I just put those two together and I thought, oh, and then I went back to my farm roots and I thought, you know, I know how important a strong tap root is, that central root is for nourishing the plant and keeping the plant in the ground when the strong winds come. And then it all came together for me. Uh, um, that whole book just came together. And, uh, and then I was able to put it into, you know, the 12 months of the year. I just really, how I, I, there really were newsletters that I have, you know, I send out a monthly newsletter. And uh, then I went to editing them and I realized that they needed to be long. So I expanded them quite a bit and edited them. And I really liked doing that. I liked going back and going, oh, that's what I wrote back in, you know, 2010 or whenever they started doing that. And um, yeah, and it was, they kind of just all fit together in these themes of these different seasons, you know, And, and like you had mentioned the one for Advent. Um, you know, I, that one I had written, I've written, see, I really, I'm so fond of believing and trusting in the indwelling presence of, of Christ's love in me, in all of us. And, uh, and so it was so easy to look at Advent, like we can be a sanctuary of love during Advent. You know, we can, you know, all the crazy stuff and busyness can happen, but if we're just aware that we're the sanctuary of kindness and love and that this light of Christ can shine forth from us, wouldn't that be a great Advent every day if I just remember to do that, you know, yes, Um, that that kind of thing. So, yeah, I love it. Well, and so I want to say to people up front that it is broken down into the 12 months and I think it's, I think this is a great gift for someone for Christmas to, and the, that people can start reading um, in the new year, though I've already started reading mine now. It really doesn't matter when, but um, I love that it's broken down into the, mm-hmm. into the months of the year. And I also love that there's not an entry for every day because it gives you time to sit with um, these different entries for m- more than a day and to soak it in, to take it in and, um, and, and really reflect. Um, one of the things Joyce that, that I love is when an author 
reads uh, his or her own work. Um, and and you're, you know, you mentioned when you that you got into a po poetry quite young, writing poetry, yes. and yeah. I love that you have written so much poetry, and there are some wonderful poems here. And I would love if you would read um, the month of January. There's a poem right at the beginning called "Stay My Heart." stay. I would love for you to read that and, and then maybe talk about it just a little bit where that came from. Oh, thank you. I'd love to do that. It's one of my favorites in the book, by the way. Yay. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Um, stay my heart, stay. Everything inside of me longs to flee to where the sun rinses the winter sky, filling the day with invitation to run to where the brilliant light shines into blushing sunset, avoiding the space where night whispers to oncoming darkness. Do not give in, stay. Sit inside the grayness, the airless heart, day after day after day after day. Stay and enter the dark void, yin space, lots of it, cave time, pull back a desire for yang, be with the persistent dullness, listen intently for the smallest murmuring of life. It is there, quiet as an enclosed root in the seeming dead of winter, secretly sipping from the soil, waiting for a turn toward warmth, not giving it strength to worry or yearning for what is yet to be. Stay, my heart, stay, 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 stay where you are. Oh, I love that as well. I think it's beautiful. I think there's so much to pay attention to in it. Do you remember what the impetus was for writing that one? I wrote that in the wintertime. I Someone the other day said to me, you know, you're the exception to the rule. And I said, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I am very fond of winter and um, because of winter darkness. And I know so many people just can't wait to, for the solstice to come and move on toward light. That I find that darkness draws me inward. And, um, and when I can go inward and be quiet, that I'm always amazed at what comes, comes to me. And, um, but sometimes um, the darkness is difficult when it, you know, I, there's, it seems like there's nothing there and it's dull. And I think, oh, especially February, February is my least favorite month in Iowa. <laughs> it's just gray and drab and brown and the snow's melted and all the globby dirt surround. And, yes. you know, but, but it's that whole thing of, you know, just staying with it. And I would go back to what we talked about with grief because, Grief doesn't just pass. It's, we've got to stay with it and be attentive and and befriended, as some would say. And and I think that same thing when I, you know, when I don't sense a feeling of God's nearness, I I move to my will and I say, I know I know you are with me and I trust you're with me, and I know there will come a time when I'm going to sense your presence again. So it's that you know, just stay stay faithful, stay present, stay with it. Stay with whatever's stirring in you, and and um, 
I think that that's, you know, I think Marcus Borg said that faith is not about belief. It's about um, trust. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. You know, mm-hmm. so. I love that. Um, what you said, stay with whatever is stirring in you, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes those are difficult things and we kind of want to run, stay, mm-hmm. stay. Uh, that's beautiful. Well, I tried to look um, I kind of looked at the year in quarters. And so we've already talked about the first quarter with that lovely January entry. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I went to um, entries that, that kind of drew me by the title. And there was one in March called mm-hmm. Open the Door a Crack. Uh-huh. Open the Door a Crack. And I, I wondered what, uh, what you were thinking when you, when you wrote that. And some of it comes out certainly in the entry, but I thought I'd have you say a few words. Well, you know, that actually came about at one of the uh, compassion um, conferences. And, um, and I was talking about what we were in small group and I was talking in the small group I was with, and I was saying the difficulty I was having with this conference coordinator who I felt like, you know, I was preparing to go to this speak at the conference. I felt like he was just telling me what I was supposed to say to the group. And I was pretty irritated, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so one of the persons there said to me, you know, maybe he's just really anxious about how that conference is going to go. And that just, it opened the door for me because I thought, I never thought about it from his perspective. I was thinking about how it sounded and felt to me. And it turned me right around. And I suddenly had great empathy for him. And I thought, that's what he's trying to do. You know, it's not about me at all. And, and so I love that whole thing that if you just open the door a little bit, the light comes in and you see things differently, or you see them more clearly. And, you know, that, so that's how that whole, whole uh, essay got started. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, and isn't that true? <laughs> yep. Yeah. New, per- different perspective. And there the door opens a crack. Yeah. I was drawn toward an entry in May that's in the, the next quarter. Actually, I guess March was in the first quarter. I stayed there a couple of times. <laughs> um, Grace has no expiration date. How could you uh-huh. not be drawn to that title? <laughs> What's that about? Yeah. You, you know, my definition of grace, when I, when I was in grade school and I was taught about grace, it was taught with milk bottles. And if you had all full of grace, it was a full milk bottle. And if you had a little grace, it was just a little bit of milk at the bottom <laughs> of the bottle, you know? So grace was a thing. And, you know, but as I grew in my spiritual life, I realized my definition of grace is the loving movement of God in my life. And, and so, you know, if, if spirit's trying to move me in a certain way or guide me in a a certain direction, if I stay open, eventually that will happen. And I think that's the, the essay where I wrote quite a bit about actually people in the gospels, you know, whether Paul's conversion after, you know, the grace that he received and Peter's finally able to say to Jesus, yes, you know, I love you after his denial, the grace that came to him with that. And, um, so those moments of grace of, of being receptive to this loving movement of divine presence in our life, you know, it can happen. We just need to keep opening our mind and heart to it. And that's, that's kind of the whole approach I took with that. So I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to move us all the way to December. You know, we're, we're about to enter that, uh, um, month where we're, we're, um, 
you know, just really just on the cusp. Mm-hmm. And um, you, and of course, many look forward to that season of Advent. You spoke of it earlier, but I really was drawn to your entry titled A Deeper Seeing, A Deeper Seeing. And I thought I would maybe ask you about that one here at the, at the end of our conversation. You know, that, that brings back such special memories. There was, um, I actually met, his name was Ken and I met Ken when he, I was giving a college retreat and he was present at the, at the retreat. And I stayed in touch with Ken for quite a while and then kind of lost touch. And then he developed cancer and got in touch with me again. And he lived another state, two states, I think away from me. But anyway, I decided to go and visit him and I knew he was, his cancer was terminal. He was in the hospital and I really wanted to see him again. And we had the most beautiful visit together. He was still able to converse. And um, so I got ready to say goodbye to him. And he said, he said, would you go and stand at the foot of my bed? He said, I want to take a picture of you. And I, I remember I was kind of startled because I didn't see a phone or a camera or anything around, but I went and I stood at the foot of the bed and he said, that's good. He said, just there, that's just right. He said, now I want to just take your picture. And he looked at me with the most loving, tender, beautiful gaze of full acceptance. I will never forget it. Even now I can feel that loving presence of his. And then he said, there, I've got it, he said. And I was so touched by that. And he said, I have your, I have your photo in my heart, he said, and, and, and I will take it with me. Oh my gosh, it was just so touching. And, and he, he was just such a dear. Um, when I got back home, you know, I thanked him for that beautiful gift. And he brought back, I can't remember, some funny little comment. He had a great sense of humor. And uh, I remember the first retreat, because I was a nervous wreck at those college retreats. I didn't know anything about college kids and what I was doing. And so I just said to them, well, I just came to be. And he looked at me, he was the president. He goes, you just came to be. You look older than that. <laughs> Cute. That's anyway, it was, he was just a dear soul. But I've, anyhow, so since then, you know, I've just, I've really tried, like when I'm, people come and talk with me, I really want to look right with them, be present tenderly with them, not look over their shoulder or somebody comes in the door or whatever, but be fully seeing present to that person. And I believe that something happens heart to heart when we do that, you know, really gently, gently, caringly, just be, be with that person. Yeah. I love the title of that one, a deeper seeing. And that I just thought that was beautiful. Um, Joy, so what's your hope for people that pick up a copy of Return to the Root? What, what are you hoping that they'll walk away from it with? And of course, honestly, I'm sitting here going, I, um, I didn't want to dip into it too much because selfishly, I want to have the joy of reading through it over the course of a year. So yeah. this is not mm-hmm. like a book that you sit down and boom, read in two or three sittings. And so that's why I'm curious your thoughts. I hope I didn't ruin your surprises. So. <laughs> no, you didn't. I, I did read those entries that I asked you about, but I thought, but that's all I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, my, my hope would be and just thinking of how it is for people today. My hope would be that it could give, give, it could inspire people enough to get through another day mm-hmm. and find some joy in their day and some hope. 
you know, especially, especially for those who feel such burdens of whatever it might be. And I think everyone carries their own burdens, but that, that would be my hope. They just find something that it would inspire them enough. And they'll just carry them through the day and they'll look with different eyes, maybe find some place of gratitude. Maybe they wouldn't have thought of that they could be grateful for that kind of thing. So. Well, this has been a delight for me and you've given um, much food for thought. And I hope our, that my faith conversations audience has gotten to know you a little bit better as well. Those who maybe have been unfamiliar with your work. So thank you so much. Um, again, return to the root reflections on the inner life by Joyce Rupp and Joyce, thank you for your time and attention today. And thank you for allowing me to, to talk. It's so wonderful to talk about things that you don't just go down the street talking about every day. So. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thanks oh, so much. For you're welcome. And to everyone else, uh, as always, I say, keep the conversation going.